Amen. Thanks, Steve. That was great. Um, let me start off with something that likely will stun you, a statement, and then I'm going to try and back that up. Uh, before that, I should probably introduce myself. I'm Trev. Um, I'm the paid staff member uh, who, yeah, <laughs> praise, praise Jesus. There was a time when I wasn't really the paid staff member. I was a partial paid staff member, and I am gracious for your generosity. People often ask, um, you know, uh, how long have you been full-time? I said, well, almost less than half of the time that our church has existed. And they said, well, who supported you at the beginning? I said, my little church did uh, for the duration of it. C2C has helped out, but other than that, it's been entirely in-house, which I think is an impressive statement to make about the generosity that we have within our people um, that's not a common story across the country, by the way. Very few church planters have the luxury of, of simply um, receiving kind of financial compensation from their own people to start. I want to make a statement and then I want to back this up with Scripture. And I want to say to you that we're going to talk about money. And I will say this. God wants all of your money. I said that correctly. God wants all of your money. Every last penny. I want you to not hear what I didn't say. I didn't say the church wants all of your money. Some of you heard that. I'm sure you did. Like, oh, another pastor who's going to ask for all our money. No, I didn't say the church wants all of your money. I didn't also say God wants you to give all your money away. I said God wants all of your money. Every last penny. You don't even use pennies anymore. And he still wants them. <laughs> why, am I gonna, why am I saying that? Because we can talk about budgets. We can talk about um, where we're going as a church financially. And I think that's so helpful, actually, even just to hear it. Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, really well done in a short amount of time. And I, I apologize for not talking more about money. Uh, some of you are like, you should never apologize for not talking about money. But here, here's what's strange is that if you look in the Bible, one of every four stories that Jesus told was about money. So if I just mimic Jesus, let's just say I mimic Jesus, once a month you would hear a sermon about money. How'd you like that? Few of us would really like that. But here's why we've got to talk about this statement, God wants all of your money, is there's a couple things. Number one, he wants all of you. So if you have money and he wants all of you, then he wants all your money. Secondly, money has this strange way of being a litmus test. Who knows what a litmus test is? Sorry for those who... A lot of you, that's, wow, that's great. Um, I should not use this illustration then because you probably know it better than I do. What is it? It's a little piece of paper, right? And in order to find out the acidity of something, the pH, am I right, guys, or am I totally off? You, you drop that liquid on that paper and it turns a particular color based upon the content of that liquid. Here's what money is. Money is the test whereby if God withdrew the, the substance that's in your heart and dropped it on money, he would find out 
where your heart is, what the substance of your heart is. It's strange. I'm not going to do it, but if I could look at your budget, if you actually come up with one, if I could look at where you spend your money, especially your leisure money, like especially the money that's after bills, if I looked at where you spent that, I could probably tell you what you love. You don't have to say it out loud, but, but argue with me in your mind if that's wrong. It's right, isn't it? It's exactly right. And some of you right now are, oh, I'm so glad he cannot see my budget because I do not want my pastor to know what I love. Vice versa. You're not, you're not necessarily going to find out everything about me either. Don't worry. But it's scary, isn't it? Scary how this issue of money, although we don't like to talk about it, we don't like to... T- we, we don't like to say things publicly. We certainly don't like to say how much we make to people. We don't like to do those sorts of things. But it's funny how everyone's interested in finding out what they love. Everyone pursues what they love. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. And here's what we're going to do. Or sorry, Luke chapter 20. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk about two particular stories, and then I'm going to draw some principles as we go through. And again, this is within the context of a series. And this series is on the household, and this series household is really all about this issue of of what it would mean to covenant and be part of this church family. So at the end of this series, we're going to have a membership covenant that we want you to sign that says, I'm going to commit to these things. And we actually also, as a leadership, will have a covenant for you that say, we will commit to doing these things for you. And the reason why we want to even make that public is because we want to help each other. We want to, we want to keep track of who's actually part of our church who says, I am in fully, and we want to know, and we want you to be able to keep us accountable to what we promise to you as well. And so if we do that, if we covenant with you, we're going to have to talk about this issue of money. Like some people, although they would never say things are free, they really think church is for free. Like no one would ever, you know, and it's funny, the kickback some people have is like, you know, why do pastors or why do churches always talk about, you know, gathering money? I said, you know, I've never been in a Starbucks lineup and heard someone in the lineup go, you know what, these Starbucks people, they're always asking for money every time I go in here. They don't say that because they understand that if I get a cup of coffee, I I generally have to pay for it. If I don't, that's kind of a surprise. And truthfully, let's just be honest, like it costs money to rent the theater. Just to gather and hear a message, to sing along, this costs us money. It costs us money to develop leaders. It costs money so that I don't have to find another job. And by the way, I did that for a season. You watched how hard that is to do at times is to work two jobs. So let's just be honest about this. This stuff costs money. But I don't want, this is not fundraising Sunday. This is not, we're behind budget. So Trev, why don't you get up there and guilt everyone into, uh, you know, some sort of financial guilt, and then our offering will go up. No, that's not what this is about, although I fully expect that the result of the Spirit of God moving in people's hearts is they will be reminded of the importance of this. I was, so I expect that likely you will too. 
And if you were already a a heavy participant in giving, I want to help just give a basis for what what we're really trying to do here. So Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. But before I even get there, here's what I want to do. I want to give you this verse. Because this is the one that talks about um, all of what's going on in our heart. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And actually, this is a, you know, this is a sermon really on worship again. About what's really in our heart. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And the reason why Jesus says this, this is Jesus speaking this, and the reason why Jesus says this is he says at some point you're going to decide who your real master is. At some point there's going to be someone or something that's above all things. You have one. You may not know you have one, but you have one. You have a thing, a person, a practice that you have above all things. You have a pleasure that's just, it's at the top. Now most of you, if you come into church, you would say, well, today it's God. But Jesus says, you, this, is, this, this question is whether you have something at the top is not actually a question. You have something at the top. The question is what? And Jesus said it's, it's pretty easy when you put up money and you put up God. At one point, you will have to decide what your ultimate allegiance will be. It's either God or it'll be your money. And, and money can be a large category. Money can be your wealth. Money can be your security. All these things. I, I liked someone after service said, money, is, money are units of comfort. I thought that was a really good description of money. That the more money you have, the more units of comfort you can purchase. Why do you think comfort's such a big idol in our country? Why do you think people just worship this idea of comfort everywhere and security? It's because we, we have lots of units of comfort in our culture and in our society. And so uh, with that kind of in mind, Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. And here's the first story. Here's the first story, and I'm trying again, I'm trying to prove this idea that God wants all of your heart. And so let me read the story for you. Luke chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, would you go ahead and raise your hand, and someone would love to bring you a Bible. Um, And you can keep that Bible if that's your first one. If it's not, uh, we'd love to have it returned so we can give it to someone who doesn't have a Bible. And so Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26 The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him, that's Jesus, at that very hour. For they had perceived that he had told this parable against them. That's the parable previous, the story previous to this paragraph. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to authority in the jurisdiction of the governor. What they're trying to do is catch Jesus in some sort of trap with his words and his teachings. They think Jesus is really out to uproot and turn over all the Jewish way of life. And so they really send these spies who pretend to be like these real keeners who show up and they're like, Jesus, you are so awesome. We have heard you're amazing. Just a few questions and we'll be on our way. 
So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. You can almost feel Jesus going, brother, of course you're going to say that. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? That was the ultimate authority in that society. They're trying to catch him. But he perceived their craftiness and said, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God, God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Again, a little bit of a, of a background there. Um, the Pharisees are the teachers of the law. They're the people that know everything that there is to know about the law. So they think they can catch Jesus in some sort of asterisk position where, oh, Jesus, no, you didn't quite get it. He doesn't really know the law like we know the law. And, and they're ultimately trying to imprison Jesus for breaking the law that he put in place so that they can rightfully kill him, legally. That's what they're trying to do. Jesus perceives this. There's a number of these stories in this particular part of Luke where his authority is being challenged. And Jesus knows this, and so instead of answering their questions like, you guys are idiots, thankfully Jesus doesn't do that, he tries to catch them in their own words. But he also does something that only Jesus can do is he teaches all of us something about money. So he says, hey, show me a denarius. Now, some of you are like, what's a denarius? Pretty common coin, I think I've, I've got it here. Um, should be coming up soon. Got it? That's what a denarius looks like. And so this is, this is Jesus, like, you know, there's a chance that some of these teachers of the law don't even have a denarius on them. At the time, the culture is completely ruled by Roman rule, so that all the taxes go to Roman rule. And it's a, a perpetual issue for all Jews. They're, they're always struggling with this tension between, well, Rome it, it wants us to give our ultimate allegiance to them, but, but, but God, they would have called him Yahweh. That was the name that they gave to God, or that God gave to Israel to call them Yahweh. And they said, clearly, Yahweh has ultimate authority. So here's what these teachers are trying to do. They're trying to say to Jesus, so Jesus, who's the ultimate authority? Is it Caesar or is it Yahweh? So if Jesus tells them, well, you should pay your taxes, though, so clearly Jesus is in the wrong and he's asking us to not have our ultimate authority be Yahweh. But if he says Yahweh, they'll catch him again because they will think, ha he's telling us to overthrow the government. And the law clearly tells us to subject ourselves to the authorities in place that God puts in place. So this is a foolproof plan, guys. Like You can see the Pharisees, they're huddled up. Let's catch them. Both ways, we got them. It's win-win for us. And Jesus is kind of going, ah, how do I say it's a lose-lose for you? Show me the coin. 
So this is the coin that they would have shown. It, it literally is. You can buy one. For a cool $1,600, I think you can get a denarius. Interest, I guess. Or, or. Whose inscription is on there? Well, at this time, it would have been Tiberius. And I'm like, how in the world? I don't know how big that thing is, but how did they get that crooked of a nose on that Tiberius? Look at that thing. I mean, that's amazing detail. It's the image of the Caesar is on it. So Jesus says, hey, whose, whose image is that on the coin? And they said, well, idiot. It's, it's Tiberius. It's Caesar's. And he goes, okay. He says, so give, if Caesar's image is on it, that means he's in rule. That means he has a right to collect taxes. And although he doesn't say it this way, what he means basically when he says, and give to God the things that are God's, is he says, whose image is stamped on you? They would have been like, Yahweh, God. In fact, Genesis 1.26, first, first chapter in the Bible, let us make man and woman after our own what? Image. The image of God is stamped into people. So he said, God's image is in you. What's it's God's, what is God's right to do? To demand all of you. Now I'll go back to the first statement. God wants all of your money. Why? Because his image is stamped on you and he wants his property in his property. You see, this is actually the gospel in this little paragraph here. That Jesus is saying, if God made you and he put his image inside of you, then does he not have a right as God to demand everything that you have? And actually, Jesus will go along and say this. He will say a disciple must leave everything behind. Not most things behind, everything behind. He even comes to the point where he says, you cannot be my disciple if you have the love of people and the love of me on the same level. You need the love of me at the highest level. I am the ultimate authority. So I'm right. If God's image is stamped in all of us, whether you believe in him or not, he actually has the right to all of your money. I bet that's not the way we def define our budget, is it? I'm going to bet you don't think of that always when you write your check or you don't write your check to Urban Grace. Or when you buy your groceries. Or when you lease a new car. Or when you find out how much money you're making in your salary. Or when you compare salaries. We're not really wired to think like this, are we? Which is why I think we need so badly God's word. Before we can talk about money, before we can ask people to give to the church, let's say, here's how we understand our money. We understand our money is one of the things that God gives to us, but ultimately because we are a Christian church, which means we subscribe that Jesus is in control of all of our life. He's in control of our time. He's in control of our schedule. 
He's in control of our marriage, our friendships, our sex lives. He's also in control of our wallet and our budget. And we can't even begin to talk about how much people should give, whether you should give, until we understand first, do you believe that God's image is stamped in your, on your heart? Do you believe that you are made in the image of God? Do you believe that you are made by God for God? Because I can't possibly persuade you to give until you really recognize that first. And I'm not even here to persuade you to, to give. I'm here to simply say, whether you believe it or not, this is what I believe about your life. You are made for God. Now, Jesus offers everything to us. He offers the fullness of himself. He did not give us part of his image. That's not what the Bible says. He did not say, let us make man after 10% of our image. Because that's what I'm going to ask people to give is 10%. Jesus did not come to this earth and give 10% of his grace to us. He did not shed 10% of his blood or 20%. How much did he shed? All of it. God did not reserve a portion of himself back home in heaven. He sent all of himself. When the Bible describes Jesus, it says it's the fullness of God in person. Because God is an all God. He's not a portion God. He's not a percentage God. So I'm right and I know I'm right. And here's the problem with this. I don't like it any more than you do. Do you know how hard it is to preach a sermon when you know full well that God does not have all of my heart? Do you know how terrifying that is to have to pray during your sermon preparation and go, I'm going to ask people and tell people that God has all of their heart, but he does not have all of mine. There is work to be done. So I do not say this in any condemning way. I will be the last person on the list here to condemn you because that work must be in my soul as well. I am not above this. We are not above this. I sat down with my financial counselor this week and I confessed these very things. Oh, Jesus, help me. Shine the flashlight into the dark places of my soul because I want the stuff of this world more than I even want Jesus. And I don't even want to admit that because I'm afraid of what we, people will think of me. So confession time. Do you know why it's such a struggle to talk about money at Urban Grace? Because your pastor struggles. This is not an easy thing for me. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. Not in any way. I'm saying this because I want you to know that this is not an easy thing for me to preach. And I apologize to you as my church family. I'm listening to my own sermon today. 
Next story. Great story. Luke chapter uh, 21. Luke chapter 21, 1 to 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Short story, some of us would read really quickly if we're reading through a Bible, there doesn't seem to be much there, but here's the amazing thing, is this so powerful. First of all, we find that Jesus is watching people put things in the offering. How many, how many would enjoy that? Jesus, arms folded, sitting at the back, watching us put our money in the offering. How many would sign up for that? That's fishbowl action right there. Hello, you better give because Jesus is watching. But we have to know something about that particular culture is that that would have been relatively easy. And so there would have been this, this kind of this lineup probably, if we're imagining this. And there were lots of different offerings. If you read through Leviticus and Numbers, you see the different kind of offerings, the different things that people gave. And this one in particular is talking about the free will offering. <laughs> yeah, it was free, free will offering. Like after the stuff that you were supposed to give, if you wanted to give above and beyond that, this was the offering. And so he, first of all, he says it was a widow. Like a couple things about widows, there was no social system. So there was no EI check for this lady. If she did not have family to help her out, she probably didn't own her own land. And so she was literally, this would have been the epitome of the poorest of the poor. So she might have just stuck out because of that reason. But here's what, what else was interesting is the way these offerings were set up was fascinating. It was like seven kind of, they called them, they were offering boxes. They called them trumpets. They would have been like those old phonograph things with the big kind of horn in it. Big, you guys know what a tuba is? Okay, it's like a tuba, okay? It's probably made of that same stuff, okay? So you got these big tubas, seven tubas lined up, and you, you drop your money in, in the tuba, so to speak. And I want to, I've got a little experiment for you to help wake you up. So you would have been able to hear how wealthy someone was as they walk by, okay? So someone, someone walks by. This is uh, my, uh, I bought this vase for my wife yesterday. It doesn't work, but it's made of tin, so I'm going to use it, okay? So you walk by the tuba, right, and, and, and you're a pretty wealthy person, so you put some money in. What sounded like that, okay? So you could, where Natasha's sitting there, you could, you could watch the offerings go by. You'd know, right? Someone goes by and they, you know, You'd hear that, or they walk by, fairly wealthy, right? So these people are walking by, they're putting in their money. Widow walks by, she puts in a copper coin. Yeah, you could hear a pin drop as that penny drop. You know what Jesus did? Amongst the bustle and hustle of all of these offerings, I bet, I bet, Jesus was like this. And when he heard that, he went, did you guys hear that? And they're probably like, what? Hear what? 
did you, did you hear that widow's offering? Like, Probably not, Jesus. He's like, she put in two copper coins, guys. Now, if I was a disciple, I'd be, how did you know it was two, Jesus? Like, how did you know it was, co-? like, you are really perceptive. Cop- two copper coins was the least amount you could give. You literally couldn't give any less. I don't know how they monitored this. We just got rid of the penny. That's the way we did it. But two copper coins was the least you could give. The widow's the poorest woman in the culture. And she drops her two copper coins in. And Jesus stands up and says, Disciples, you're going to learn something about money today. What does he say? Truly I tell you, This widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Interestingly enough, in Matthew chapter 6, and this is going to make sense for some of you who have read your Bible, but this this is actually what Jesus, when he's teaching on a mountainside, says. Beware when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. You know the trumpet he's talking about? He's talking about the offering. He's saying, as you give to the needy, as you give your offerings, he's saying, don't make a big sound with your money so that everyone knows that you love the poor and that you're so helpful. Oh, look at that person. They made a big clank sound. Don't sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that they may be praised by others. I mean... You think about that, right? You think about that. How many times do we suppose that God is impressed with the sound of our giving? We're like, hey, I'm, I'm a tither. See, God? Can you hear that, God? You hear how much I love you? You hear how much I care about mission in this town? And Jesus says, it's not about that sound, you guys. That's not why you give. Look at this woman. This woman just, she gave every last penny. He doesn't even tell them to give their last penny. He's just saying, just just look at this woman. I want you to notice something about her. I want you to notice that she gave when that was all she had to give. She has nothing left. Now she turns her heart towards God and goes, God, you have everything that I have. I don't have anything left. I don't have any more coins. I have no more offering for next year. If I'm going to give an offering next year, you're going to have to somehow deliver to me more coins. And he's saying, see, that's actually what I'm after. I'm after people who have given me everything. Because they own everything. So even when they give, that's, that, that's God's. So I don't want us to think even in terms of percentages. This is, this is, this is so easy for us to do. It's so easy for us to get hung up on is, is okay, okay, Pastor Trev, tough guy. You're going to break down percentages for us? So you look at my budget and... and uh, you know what percentage? Typically, if you're, not, if you're uh, not a Christian, or if you're new to Urban Grace, or if you're new to Christianity, let me just inform you that typically Christians talk about something called a tithe. 
right? Who's heard the word tithe before? Most of us, okay, if you haven't heard the word tithe before, it just simply comes from the word 10, okay? means kind of 10%. I'm not actually sure where exactly people got this idea of God or the church wants 10% of your income. I know in some religions, actually, they actually withdraw it right from your paycheck, and they know your gross income, and so it's exactly 10% of your income. The strange thing is, is you'd be hard-pressed to find kind of that real number in the Old Testament. Uh, let, let, me, let me take you through the different, um, just, just these, these percentages. These percentages. I'm going to do number two and then number one, guys. Tithe means 10%. In Numbers chapter 18, verses 21 to 29, um, there is a command that everyone is to give, and there was an agricultural society, so they gave 10% of their income, which would have been 10% of their produce. Excuse me. This goes actually to the work of the priests. It's where we get this idea of, hey, if you work in the, if you work in the temple, and God said they're not going to do anything else, they're not going to own their own land, so if you understand the story of God at all, there's 12 tribes and 11 of them get land and one doesn't. That's the priest. He says, you're not going to own land. You're going to receive money from all the rest of the tribes that do own land. And so you're going to give 10% of your annual income to them. That's where we get the idea of 10%. That was mandatory. This is not a choice. I've been very easy to see, like 10% of your crop, right? I grew up on a farm, and so like literally you would have seen a, a swath, and you just like, this is, for, this is for the work of the priests in the tabernacle. That would have been their church. But then he said, Deuteronomy 12, 10 and 11, and 17 and 18, 10% of your annual income strictly, this is what's great, strictly for a party. How do you like that, God. You have to give 10% so that you can party every year. That's literally called a festival tithe. Another 10% on top of that 10%. What are we at? Numbers, numbers people, what are we at? 20, okay? Mandatory, not a choice. Uh, there was the poor tithe, which was every, 10% every three years or divided 3.333333. I'll stop there. Uh, per year. This was mandatory. You had to leave this behind when you harvested so that the poor people, this was their social justice system, so that you could, the, the poor people could basically go get the scraps left over. Okay? What are we up to? 20% plus 3.3? 23.3%. Mandatory. There's the grace tithes. Now, after 23.3%, you could also, if you wanted to give extra, give extra. So most people ended up giving eh, about 10%. Maybe 15% on top of that. Maybe 12% if you're really stingy. And there's probably a lot of peer pressure then, so some were like, yeah, I know you, you suckers are all giving 15%. I'm giving 20 this year. Matter 35% of their annual income just went to celebrating the Lord's goodness, paying for food in the tabernacle, taking care of the poor. But that free will offering was not a ceiling. You could do it any time, any amount. You give 100% if you wanted to. 
So when we talk about tithe and 10% and you should give 10%, I would say this is a baseline which you operate. My financial advisor says you should give until it hurts. I think that's really good advice. Because if 10% is something that we give and it doesn't hurt our budget, it probably doesn't help us with our own hearts. God probably doesn't have our heart. But if we have to give to the point where it, it hurts us, financially, not kills us, mind you, but where we notice. You have those things in your life, right? We all do. Like, I'm happy to pay rent, but I notice, I notice that I pay rent. It's not a light part of my budget. Like, it's a major part of my budget. I could do a lot of things in this world if I didn't have to pay rent. It's one of those things that hurts in my budget. I feel it. And I feel like this is kind of the principle that Jesus is talking about. Why? Why? Why does he say that? Why does he not talk about, you know, right now you guys are, thank the Lord you're not talking about percentages, Trev. If 35% is the way we're going, I'm out. Right? Can you imagine if I said, yeah, we'd love for you to be members and all we ask is a monthly payment of 35% of your annual income. You'd be like, I found another church in the meantime. I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear percentages. That's not what we're after. You know what I want you to do with that? I want you to figure that out. You're big people. You're adults. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. You listen to the Holy Spirit. You look at your budget. But you ask yourself, what do I love here? What am I in love with? What am I really in love with? Because I guarantee you, you will spend the money that you love on what you love. I do. I love my family. My family gets my money pretty easily. I got two beautiful girls. Well, three if you count my smallest one. <laughs> Some of you got that joke. It doesn't take much persuading to get me to spend money on the people that I love. That shows up in my budget, even when it's unexpected. But because I love them, it's not a very big deal to me. I say, oh, if you spend money on your kids, then you can't go out and eat like you want to eat. And I would look and say, well, clearly, I, clearly I love my kids and my wife. Don't you get it? This is what I want us to see. Giving is also not about rich or poor. Because I know what the arguments are in my own head. The arguments are, when I start making enough money, I will start giving. Don't answer this with your hand, but how many of you have actually used that argument as reality? When I start making good money and I have lots left over, then I will start giving. Here's why I told you one of those stories about the widow. Jesus actually said in Matthew 6, when you give, not if you give. He used the example of someone who didn't have money instead of someone who did. I think he's speaking to both. He's assuming that people who have money are giving money. I'm assuming he's speaking to people who hardly have any money 
that they're giving to because what is it about? Well, giving always is a litmus test of what we really care about. I'm not saying, okay, some of you need to go and give to the church. The truth is, some of you do need to give to the church. And here's why. Because you eat from the family table, but you don't take any dishes to the counter. We've made it pretty clear around here that we are, we are called to help make mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Translated for you, that means that we don't want people to be baby Christians their whole life. We want to introduce people to Jesus, tell them how great he is, and once they begin to understand how great he is, we want them to grow up in Jesus and understand and learn about Jesus. And it's just like maturing as an adult. You know, if my six-year-old kind of says, like, um, Dad, I want supper, and I'd be like, hey, you're six-year-old, get your own food, make your own salary, you'd say, you're, you're a bad dad. But if my six-year-old kid was now 40 and said, hey, where's my food? You would say I was a bad dad if I didn't go, get a job. Make your own food. We're not your maids. Yeah, what's the difference there? We understand this process of maturity. So if you're new to Urban Grace, it's your first time here, this message is not really for you, although I want you to hear the content, this challenge. But honestly, if, if this place is where you eat, it's where you, where you find spiritual care, it's where you're connected to city groups, it's where you receive from the church family, we would say then, then you have a responsibility to contribute what you can. How much should you give to the local church? From where I'm standing, as much as you can. Because here's why. The more money we have, this eases our mission. It's the way the mission goes. So Jesus not only finds out what's in our hearts, but he also funds his mission with this. Now, truthfully, Jesus doesn't need our money. I mean, he has it, but he doesn't need it. This is not about rich, poor. It's not about percentages. It's about what's in our heart. And it's about the mission of Jesus. Everywhere you go, money is the currency used whereby we live. Whether that's in an agricultural society, whether that's in a Bitcoin society, whether that's in a credit card society. This is the way God both understands and helps us to see what's in our, in our heart, but also funds the mission. But I don't want to leave you with guilt. Some of you are feeling guilty. That's not from me. It's not from me. Guilt is from Satan and people. Sometimes in that order. But not always. Conviction is from God's Holy Spirit. Guilt is, I can't do anything and I feel bad and I'm hopeless. Conviction is, I can do this through Jesus. I want to do this. I need to do this. I have to do this. I want you to give out of guilt. Don't use that as an excuse. But don't give out of guilt. It doesn't work. Give out of conviction. Ask the Holy Spirit, hey, would you shine a flashlight in this area of my life? 
would you show me the ways in which I need to repent or change of the ways and the ways that I think about my own money? Would you help me to understand that I am not in charge of my own budget, but you are? That you are the one, Jesus, who is in control. But let me leave by telling you the gospel. You need to hear the gospel because the gospel is always positive. It's never negative. Only the gospel can turn something that's very negative into something's positive. Because the reality is, even no matter how much you've managed your money well, no matter how much you've given, you have a spiritual debt with the God of the universe. How many of you enjoy being in debt? I hate it. Sometimes I don't hate it enough, but I hate it. You ever hate that feeling like you owe somebody something? And sometimes you just, you don't even care about how much it is or what it is. You just want to get that debt off of your heart and soul because it just has this weight of just bearing this emotional weight on you. Well, the, the trouble is, the Bible explains to us that all of us have a spiritual debt to pay. But here's the problem. No amount of doing good things, no amount of trying to please God, no amount of giving to God, no amount of giving to churches, no amount of serving with my time, no amount of good things that I do for the sake of God can ever repay that debt. Jesus says that's a debt that can only be paid if you exchange your life. So you can have it your way. If you'd like to exchange your life now and wing it at the end of your life, go for it. Or you can try door number two, which is the right door, which is what I'm trying to persuade you all of regularly, week after week. Jesus, take my life in exchange for yours. Jesus never sinned. He never created a spiritual debt he never disobeyed the Father. He did everything that you and I were supposed to do. And when he did, he, he, he came to the end of his life and he says, I will exchange all of my earnings for your debt. I will take every financial penalty, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you ever will commit, everything you have done and haven't done for me that you should have or shouldn't have. And if you believe I am God and I am able to pay the debt, I will exchange my righteousness for your sin. And your bank account statement on judgment day will show up paid in full. Greek word prosteme. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished, which again, I, I don't want to cut down on translations, but the word there is prosteme, which is paid in full. Jesus hung on the cross, and he says, debt's paid, clean slate. No financial barriers to overcome. He didn't, he didn't give a portion of his grace. He didn't give a tithe of his generosity. He didn't give 35% of his godness. 
He gave 100%. He gave all to pay in full. This is what we celebrate each week, friends. Some of you have financial debts. Some of you have struggled financially, so it's easy for you to put this in your, in your brain, this image. And I want you to know that as you come forward, here's what you're, what you're looking at. You're looking at the little certificate that God gives to you and says, no more debt, paid in full. This is why some of you need to smile as you partake because this is good news. There's no earning this. There's no, if I could just get close to God, I could feel this way. No, he offers it freely, which is why we also say, if you don't believe that about God, if you don't believe he's capable of paying your debt, if you don't believe he has paid your debt, then don't come and partake. Don't come and tell us you believe something that you don't really believe. But if you do believe... Come, and if you don't believe, I would say, why not? It is that simple. Trust. Trust in him. Band, would you come and, and lead us?